The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who do his precepts have good understanding. Amen. The word of God for our study this Sunday is the first verse of our second lesson, Romans 13, verse 1, as already read. Dear friends in Christ, <clears throat> Joe has problems with authority. If you read that judgment or diagnosis in a child's student file, in an employee's evaluation, or in someone's psychological profile, you would probably be able to form some kind of idea of what Joe is like and what kind of trouble he gets into or has with others in his life, in his school, or, or his job. We have all known people who, who fit that problems with authority description to, to some degree. The, the classmate who is perfectly capable of behaving, but acts up precisely because the teacher told him to sit quietly. The co-worker who has plenty of, of talent or intelligence, but always resists any instructions the boss gives and tries to do things his own way. And there's the family member or friend or neighbor who's who's been in and out of jail on all sorts of petty charges because as soon as a police officer talks to him or tries to calm a situation down, Joe just has to make a scene. These are the kind of people that we find ourselves wishing would get drafted into the army where we hope they would finally learn not just the value of submission, but why Authority itself is something necessary for their and everyone's lives. But it's not just that we have known people who have problems with authority. It is also that we have all been people who have problems with authority and really still are those people. You might call it a fundamental feature of our sinful natures. It manifested itself already in the Garden of Eden when our first parents embraced the lie that their Creator's authority over them wasn't to be trusted and wasn't good for them. So they rejected His and asserted their own authority over their own lives. And they took and ate the fruit. And they ended up with responsibility for their own deaths those of every generation since. But that, that was just the beginning of our sinful nature's problem with authority. In addition to people like Joe, you, you've seen it in the toddler who says no to everything just to enjoy the power of it, regardless of how it turns out in the end. You've seen it in the bosses, managers, supervisors, and junior officers who become petty tyrants once they've been given authority over others. You've seen it even in mothers and fathers who rule their families with fear, intimidation, and an irresistible, because I said so. The problem we have, that all people have with authority, is, is twofold. In the first place, we resent and therefore resist any kind of authority placed over us. Rationally, we might recognize a real need to submit, but on a more primal level, we just don't want to. 
So we disobey and rebel. The second part of our problem with authority is that we want to be the ones who have it and use it over ourselves for sure, but often also over other people. As much as we do not like others telling us what to do, we like telling others what to do. Now granted, this urge is stronger in some people than others and more an issue at some times than others, but it is present in everyone who has a sinful nature, which is all of us. Well, so what, some might say. If everybody's like that, it's just something that we all have to learn to live with. Well, no. It's a lot more than that. A much bigger problem than that. Because this is everyone's sinful nature we're talking about, and sin, wherever it comes from, however common it is, whatever it results in, has a cost. And that cost is eternal separation from the love of God, death and hell. The Almighty Lord and Judge of all will not say on the last day, oh, yeah, too bad about your constant disobedience and rebellion, but you couldn't help it, so I'll just overlook it. No. Every sin must be paid for. No one will enter eternal life as a rebel or proudly singing, I did it my way. And God, with His absolute authority, as the one who created and sustains the universe, will be absolutely correct, holy, and reasonable in damning those who have rejected His authority. Because that is precisely what he warned would be the cost of disobedience from the day of our creation. So what what do we need? Uh, A better plan to somehow convince God that we're actually obedient or to distract Him so He doesn't see what we're really doing? No. He sees and knows everything and He is no fool. Well, how about just denying that there's a problem or maybe approaching God as his equal and suggesting that, well, we just have some differences of opinion that he should ignore. Again, he is no fool. And such, let's pretend we're not actually guilty of the things we're perfectly guilty of, games, which show us to be the fools. So what we need is... Someone else. Someone else who is not a rebel, but is in fact God's equal in holiness, to to step in and use His authority to change everything for us, to, to solve the problem that we could never solve ourselves. But the only one equal to God is God. So dare we hope for that solution? We do, because our Creator is not just a God of justice. He is also a God of grace, mercy, and compassion. And so, on His own authority, 
He made a plan to rescue us rebels. A plan that would, would not and could not just ignore our guilt, but one that would pay for and eliminate the entire debt of the entire world's disobedience so that no sinner would have to be damned to eternal death, but that everyone could have eternal life. So God sent His one and only Son, Jesus, to live, submit, suffer, and die on our behalf, to bear your, my, and everyone's sins as if they were His own. And He did not do this as some reluctant scapegoat, and not as an unlucky victim of circumstances outside His control. No, He did this all as the one who had the authority to lay down His life and did so willingly because each of us sinners mattered that much to Him. With Christ's self-sacrifice on the cross, and His Father's raising of Him from the dead, He won us victory over death and hell and over our own sin and rebellion. And He stomped on Satan, the sponsor and instigator of so much of our disobedience, so that we would never have to listen to Him again. When we put our trust in Jesus, we say, yes, Thank you to the authority with which He laid down His life for us and to the authority of God the Father who sent Him to us as our Savior and to the authority of the Holy Spirit who has told us what to believe and why in the Scriptures. All for our salvation. It's almost ironic, but it's actually something to celebrate. The problem that we had with God's authority is solved by God's authority. And we praise Him for it. But even though heaven now, through faith in Jesus, is our glorious destination, we we still have to live on this earth until the Lord calls us home to Him. And since we still have that sinful nature and live among other sinners in a society corrupted by sin, authority is still going to be an issue. And God, who knows all and understands all, foresaw that problem and provided for us and for all people by giving us authorities. He knew that if we each went our own way and did as we saw fit, we'd make a mess of things. But more importantly, He wanted to make sure that we had access to His wisdom and strength through His representatives so that we would not be left entirely alone. And this is true even for the most heathen and God-forsaken societies of the world. In fact, as, as Paul tells us in the first verse of Romans 13, No authority exists exists except by God. And the authorities that do exist have been established by God. And they have all been established for your benefit. No matter how much other voices, inside us or outside, might tell us that we should reject them and just go our own way. All authority, of course, is God's to begin with. 
And it doesn't stop being his just because he bestows it on his earthly representatives. That's why Paul reminds us that the one who rebels against the authority is opposing God's institution. And those who oppose will bring judgment on themselves. In Romans 13, the the apostle is focusing on God's representatives in the state. But we might say that the most fundamental human institution where God has established his authority in his, with his representatives is the family. He puts parents in charge. And this principle is so important that he included it in the Ten Commandments. Here's how Paul teaches it in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live a long life on the earth. His reminder of the promise God attached to the command makes the same point he makes in Romans 13. The authority God has given to fathers and mothers over their children is established for our good. And there is one more area in addition to the family and the state in which God has set up his authority, the church. Now, this is always a truth that I, as a pastor, feel uncomfortable teaching because it could seem so self-serving. But it's not just about me. It's about every pastor and teacher and servant that the Lord has entrusted his authority to. In Hebrews 13, the same point is made about the authority God has established being for our benefit. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Carefully consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as men who will give an account. Obey them so that they may do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no benefit to you. It's worth noting that the authority given to leaders in Christ's church is is not their own and is not just about position or, or power. Their real authority is the Word of God. What we are asked to submit to is not the whims of a minister, but the will and wisdom of God in the Bible applied to us. The Scripture, which, as Paul wrote to Timothy, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, well-equipped for every good work. Again, this authority and submitting to it is for our good. So then, what do we do with it? Some approach that question as though it's incredibly complex, but it's actually quite simple. We obey authority. There is only one exception given to us. The apostles used it when the Jewish council of the Sanhedrin, the the same group that had condemned Jesus to death, commanded them to quit preaching in Jesus' name. They answered, we must obey God rather than men. Now, this is not as big an exception as some Christians like to think. It is not, I don't like this, or I don't think this is a good idea, or this leader is not a Christian like me, or anything like that. What it is, is this. 
when an officer of the government or a parent or a pastor or anyone else in authority over us gives us a command that is clearly contrary to God's stated will, then we say no. So if your mother asks you to steal something or lie for her, you say, no, mom, that would be a sin. And if your pastor says, you have to fast every Friday, and you'd better let me tell you whom to marry, what job to take, and where to live, then you say, no, Scripture doesn't give you that authority. And if the government tells us we can't preach the gospel or teach the Bible anymore, like the apostles, we say, sorry, but no. God has told us to do this, and His authority is higher than yours. But we also need to consider the other side of authority, exercising it ourselves. In the first place, we don't go seeking it out in order to be greater than others or to impose our will on others. We recognize that authority is God's to give, and we trust that he will give it to us if and when he wills and for his purposes. And then when we do have authority, we will use it to serve. When James and John came to Jesus with their mother and and asked for the positions of highest honor and power in the kingdom that they thought he was about to usher in, and the rest of the disciples then resented the fact that they had tried to push ahead of them like that, well, Jesus had some strong words. You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But that is not the way it is to be among you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if the Lord of the universe viewed the proper use of his authority as service, well, we will too, especially since he is our Savior too. Our verse of the day today reminded us that Christ is the head over every ruler and authority, but he is also our prime example of how to use authority when he gives it to us as a parent, as a leader in the church, as a boss, as an officer, even as a citizen in a democracy. We use it to work for the good of those we've been given authority over. So yes, it matters. Authority matters in the first place because it is all God's to begin with. But in His love and His wisdom, He saw fit to give some of that authority to His representatives here on earth in in the family, the state, and the church. And authority matters to us Not just because we have an obligation and because we want to please our Lord and Savior with our submission, but because all those authorities and our obedience to them are for our good and for all of society's good too. We never want to have our submission forced by the point of a sword. We will happily give it with honor, respect, and everything else that might be owed Because we know from God and from experience 
and for God and for our own good, we know that authority matters. Amen. Please rise. Now to the King, eternal, to the immortal, immortal, invisible, only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.